Well, good morning. Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we will read beginning verse 23 all the way through chapter 11, verse 1. I, uh, I recognize that many of you will have maybe many questions after this. I know I do. I don't understand fully what Paul is saying. And uh, so if you do have any questions at the end of this, uh, feel free to email those to me, and I'll be glad to forward those to Pastor Stephen, and he'll take care of them. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one unbeliever invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Let me set the context here. If you go with me to chapter 8, Open your Bible to chapter 8, verse 1. A question was asked by the Corinthians. What was the question? Well, here he gives us a clue. Verse 1, now concerning food offered to idols. So the question in their minds was this. Paul, we have a problem. Here's our problem. Can we eat food or meat that has been offered to idols in the pagan temples. The food is no longer in the temple. Can we eat it? Can we partake? Can we enjoy of that meat that is associated with idol worship? Are we free to enjoy those things? Now, why was that an issue? It was an issue because there was no agreement among the Corinthians. And isn't that true of ourselves as well? When there is no agreement, then it becomes an issue. So let me throw some questions at you. Are you ready? You know what's coming. Can we drink alcohol? Don't answer. Just keep it to yourself. Can we drink alcohol? Can we dance? Can we watch a football game on a Sunday? Can we play soccer on a Sunday? Can I wear that? 
Can I go to that place? Can I watch that movie? Those questions evoke different answers, right? It would not be wise for me to ask you to tell me your answer because we have many different answers. That tells me something. It tells me the following. We are now entering into the realm of what is known as Christian freedom. Christian freedom. What is Christian freedom? What do I mean by that? Christian freedom is about navigating life when it comes to issues to which, to which the Bible doesn't speak directly. Issues that the Bible neither condemns nor condones. So, can we eat meat that at one point was in the temple offered to an idol? You want to hear the answer? Go to chapter 8, verse 8. Here's the answer to that question. Can we eat that meat? Here's what Paul said. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So can we eat the meat that was offered to an idol? Yes and no. All right, let's close our Bibles. We'll go home. That's, that's the answer. Now, the reason why we're talking about Christian freedom is because you will not get a definitive answer. Do you understand that? This is not to, to get a definitive answer. Can we drink? Can we dance? Can we eat meat that has been offered to idols? Paul will not give us a definitive, definitive answer. What will Paul do? He will give us a set of principles. No direct answer. A set of principles by which you can navigate those issues. Okay, so this is what Paul will do. Three principles, general principles of, of Christian freedom, a conclusion to his argument, and finally, an invitation. So let's take the first three general principles of Christian freedom. Here's the first one. Christian freedom is about brotherly edification, not self-gratification. Okay, Christian freedom is about brotherly edification, not self-gratification. Let me read verses 23 and 24 once again of chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let me just try to explain first the expression, all things are lawful. This is not a quote from the Old Testament. This was probably an expression that the Corinthians used themselves and they created in order to justify all forms of evil in their midst. This would explain why they were so comfortable with the guy of chapter 5 who was committing gross sexual immorality and they were not confronting him. Why? Because all things are lawful. This would explain why many of them were indulging in sexual immorality themselves, and Paul had to call them out. This is why marriages were in turmoil, and why some, some of them were comfortable even participating in pagan ceremonies, in idolatry. Why? Because they were justifying all things by saying, after all, we are under grace, all things are lawful. And Paul said, sure, all things are lawful, which are not prohibited by God, either directly or by implication. Sexual immorality, 
is not lawful. Adultery, certainly not lawful. Divorce, not lawful. And being a stumbling block to your brother or sister, that's not lawful. Moreover, yes, it is true that many things are indeed lawful. It is okay for you to eat meat associated with idol worship. That's fine. But is it helpful to do so? Now, what does that mean? What does the word helpful mean? Well, he's going to explain what that means in the next sentence. Pay attention. Verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So what is something helpful? Is something that helps my brother or sister grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go back to the original question. Can we eat meat that has been offered to idols? Yes, you can. That would be within the parameters of Christian freedom. Nobody cares about the actual meat. But the question still remains. Will it help my brother get closer to God or will it be a stumbling block? If I do so. You see, the Corinthians had forgotten about an essential element of the Christian life. And is this. It is no longer about you. One of the critical elements of the Christian life is that it is no longer about self-gratification, but about self-denial. What can we learn from this? Well, to begin with, we can deduce that the Corinthians were asking the wrong question about Christian freedom. Here's how they were asking the question. Am I allowed to do this or that? What's wrong with that question? Well, the problem with that question is that I'm at the center of it. Am I allowed is the wrong question. You see, when it comes to the issue of Christian freedom, the question is not, am I allowed to do this or to partake of that or to go to that place or to eat that meat? Am I allowed? That's not the, the, the real question. That's not the right question. What is the right question? Will my actions edify my brother? You see, you are no longer a part of the question. Will my actions affect or edify my brother, my neighbor? What is more, I want you to look at verse 24. Listen to how Paul says it. Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You know what the critical word is? Seeking. Seeking. Let me put it this way. There is nothing passive about Christian freedom. There is nothing passive about Christian freedom. Christian freedom ultimately is about seeking with intentionality the good of my neighbor. There's nothing passive about it. Think about it this way. Meat is meat. Who cares? But the good of your brother must be your first concern. That is what Paul, what is Paul saying? It is not about you anymore. So ultimately, the question is, will my actions destroy the faith of my neighbor or build it up? What will my actions do? Oh, yeah. I'm dealing with a cold or something, so I apologize about that. Um, I read the story of a, a pastor who 
was preaching at his, at his church on this text. And at the end of the sermon, and I won't do this, okay, I promise you. But at the end of the sermon, he had a microphone and he asked the people of the church to come to the front. And he said, I want you guys now to share specific ways in which you have given something up for the benefit of someone else. One of your freedoms. You have chosen not to enjoy a certain freedom for the sake of somebody else. And it became so awkward. No one came to the front. And then at the end of the service, several people came to the pastor and they said to him, you know what, pastor, I just realized for the first time that I have never given any of my freedoms up for the sake of somebody else. You know what is interesting? If you think about this long enough, God will reveal something to you. He did it with me. He revealed several things in my own life. And if you think long enough about this, he will reveal something to you. Seeking my neighbor's good. So of this, this one first point, the first principle of Christian freedom, I want you to keep this one question in mind. And if it bothers you, let it bother you. That's fine. Okay. Here's the one question you need to keep in mind. How are you seeking how are you seeking your neighbor's good? What have you given up for anyone else's spiritual growth? If you can't think of anything, I hate to break it to you, but it could be that your Christian freedom has just become an idol. Now, here's the principle number two. Here's where things become a little complicated. Because I know what I just said. I know what Paul just said. Here's principle number two. Christian freedom is a legitimate Christian privilege that must be enjoyed. Christian freedom is a legitimate Christian privilege that must be enjoyed. Listen to verses 25 through 27. Paul says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invite you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is said before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. What is he saying? Well, think about it. Go to the meat market. Paul said to the Corinthians, eat whatever is sold in the meat market. Anything? Yes, absolutely, anything. Don't ask any questions about its origins. Don't ask if the meat at some point was at the temple and used the sacrifice to an idol. Why not? Well, because the meat is not the problem. Food is not the problem. Not even idols are the problem. An idol is just a thing. It means nothing. Meat is just a thing. Food is just a thing. And ultimately, you don't need to ask any questions about any of it because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What does that mean? It means the following. Even if the meat at some point was used for an idol or a demon, it doesn't change the fact that it is the Lord's meat. Demons have no claim upon that which belongs to God. That is what, what Paul is saying, essentially. It is all the Lord's. It is all his provision for you. Therefore, go ahead and eat it. That's what Paul is saying. Do not participate in idolatrous ceremonies. Paul made that clear in the previous section. But if the meat is available to be bought, go for it. It is God's gift for you. Now, this is important. 
it is very important. I don't want you to underestimate the, the crucial significant significance of, of these verses for the principle of Christian freedom. Think about it. Think about it. To deny ourselves certain freedoms has theological implications. To deny ourselves certain freedoms has theological implications and big ones. Here are just a few. Number one, to deny ourselves certain freedoms may mean that we are denying God his supremacy over all things. It's a big deal. You do not want to lessen the degree to which God is Lord. He is Lord of all things. Here's a second implication. To deny ourselves certain freedoms may mean that we are ascribing to demons more power than they actually have. Number three, to deny ourselves certain freedoms may mean that we are operating out of sinful fear rather than humble thankfulness to God. This is big deal. When Paul says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, he means it. Listen, knowing that God owns all things should lead us into greater freedom. You're thinking, wait a minute. Didn't Paul just say that we should be concerned about edifying others more than about our personal enjoyment? Yes, he did say that. What's the point? The point is this. What if someone sees me buying the meat and they are offended? What do we do then? Isn't that selfish of us? Shouldn't we always be paying attention to what others will think? Isn't that the first point to begin with? Well, yes, it is. You should not want to offend anybody. But Christian freedom is a legitimate Christian privilege and it should be taken seriously. This is what it means. You do not want to offend. That is correct. But at the same time, let's be real about this. You cannot live your life submitting to everyone else's standard. It is an impossibility. You can't. In fact, I would even say that if you try to live your life submitting to everyone else's standard, you are now not walking in Christian freedom, but in bondage. What kind of bondage? The fear of men. And you can do that. Everything has a balance. And yes, you want to protect other people's consciences, but you also need to understand that God is supreme. Do not deny God his supremacy. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Paul takes it even further. He says, if you know the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, go ahead and let the unbeliever invite you to dinner. Do not fear the type of food they will serve. Enjoy it. It is all God's gift to you. Listen to the words of Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4 and 5. Listen to how Paul spoke about God's supremacy. For everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Enjoying your Christian freedom, enjoy it as an outflow of the conviction that God is supreme over all things. It is a big deal. It is important. But let me just add one sub point here. One sub point. This is a little dangerous here, okay? Just be ready. Sometimes, sometimes, unintentional 
offenses will take place. You have offended people, haven't you? By the use of your Christian freedom. And at times, offending others may just be the tool needed to lovingly and graciously instruct them in the truth. Let me just give you an illustration. Do you remember how the Pharisees reacted when Jesus did not require the disciples to wash their hands? They were offended. So the the Pharisees were looking at the disciples of Jesus and the disciples of Jesus decided, we're not going to wash our hands before eating. Now, is there anything morally wrong with washing your hands before eating dinner? There's nothing morally wrong. Yet Jesus chose not to comply with their desire. Why? Because there was a truth to be taught. What was the lesson that he wanted to teach the the Pharisees? It is not the food that is bad, it is your heart. The problem is not the food that goes in, but the sin that comes out. And Jesus knew that he was offending, but there was something greater in the back of his mind. Now, let me be honest with you. Uh, As I was thinking about this, I was thinking I should have like footnotes here saying, you know, do not try this at home kind of thing. You need to be careful, right? As you enjoy your Christian freedom, it is a real freedom rooted in God's supremacy. But if unintentional offense is given by your life, by your enjoyment of Christian freedom, here's your responsibility. You must instruct with patience and grace. So here's another question for you. Have you ever unintentionally offended a weaker brother by the exercise of your freedom? If yes, what have you done? What have you done? I have, I have, I have seen people get upset when someone questions their actions and they're acting in Christian freedom and they begin this debate and trying to prove a point. But I think what we learn from this is that we need to be patient and kind and gracious to teach truth when the opportunity arises. Here's the third principle of Christian freedom. Here's the the third principle of Christian freedom. Christian freedom is not ultimately freedom of action, but of conscience. I believe this is what Paul is saying in verses 28, 29, and 30. Listen to verse 28. But if someone says to you, This has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? It's a little tricky. I believe I understand that right I believe in in the last few verses, in these few verses here, the Apostle Paul is bringing his two previous principles into balance. There is some tension, isn't there? There is some tension. As you enjoy Christian freedom, you have to be aware of your brother and the edification of your brother. But Christian freedom is at the same time a legitimate privilege that you have. So how do we navigate that? There is some tension, and I believe the Apostle Paul is going to help us understand what it all means. Christian freedom does not always mean that your actions are always free, but that your conscience is always free. 
It is in the life of your conscience where Christian freedom is fully realized, not in your actions. That is helpful, I believe. When Paul says, for why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? He knows the answer. What is the answer? My liberty is not determined by someone else's conscience. But didn't he just say, do not eat the meat for the sake of the one who informed you? Yes. Isn't that a restriction of my freedom? No, it is not. It is a restriction of your actions, but not of your conscience. Your conscience is always free. So Christian freedom does not mean that you always get to do whatever you want, anytime you want, with anyone you want. Christian freedom means that while your actions may have, been, may have to be restricted for the sake of someone else, your conscience will never be restricted by someone else. Why? Here's the bottom line. There is only one Lord over our conscience, and that is God. No one else. No one else has lordship over your conscience. It is God and God alone. Let me prove it to you. Listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Paul said this. So then each of us will give an account of God, of himself to God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. The one who knows and judges your conscience is God, no other people. And if your conscience is free of guilt, no person can bring you back into bondage by asking you to modify your actions. That's the point that he's making. Ultimately, your conscience is always free. Therefore, Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 21, it is good not to eat meat. It is good. It is good not to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Why can't, why can't he say that? Because your Christian freedom is not ultimately about what you get to do. It's about your conscience being free. You know that you can enjoy that. You know that you could have enjoyed that. Your conscience is always free because it has one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your freedom is never taken away. In fact, that may just be an expression of your freedom so that you may love and build others up. Now, here we come to a conclusion to the whole argument that Paul started in chapter 8, verse 1. Here's the conclusion. Christian freedom is primarily about obedience to the two greatest commandments. Christian freedom is primarily about obedience to the two greatest commandments. Let me read verse 31 through 33. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. One day, the Lord Jesus was asked probably the most important question ever asked. And the question was this, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? What was his answer? His answer was this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to think about this text that we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the conclusion of chapter 10, within the context, within the framework of the two greatest commandments. You see, the words of Paul 
that we're studying are no small matter. Learning to navigate your Christian freedom is a big deal, and here's why. How you use your Christian freedom is the practical outworking of your desire to obey the two greatest commandments. Everything that Paul has been saying so far is in answer to this one question, how do I love God and how do I love others? This is practical. What you do with your freedom in Christ matters. One theologian said it this way, liberty, freedom, is not the ultimate good. It is to be limited by higher values. There is a difference between Christian liberty and the cult of liberty. Liberty or freedom is not the right to do as I please. Liberty is the right to do as God pleases without fear. At the end of the day, Christian freedom and my eating whatever I want and my drinking and whatever else it is that I may do is to please God and to do all things to the glory of God means in just a few words that everything I do, I do it in recognition of the fact that God has all the authority over my life and he tells me how I must live my life. Now, let me be a little more specific. Let's try to be more specific. What does it mean to do all things to the glory of God? I remember that for a long time, I I had this idea of living to the glory of God, kind of a mystical idea. And what I thought for a long time was that to live to the glory of God, to do everything to the glory of God, whatever I do to the glory of God meant that I had to over-spiritualize everything I do. Whatever it is that I do, I have to turn it into a very deep spiritual moment. And in a sense, I was reading Psalm 19 this morning. In a sense, we understand that everything we do should be done to please God. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing unto you. That is true. But now that I've been thinking about this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and the words of Paul when says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I believe this is so practical. It is very, very practical. Some verses in in the Bible, they have parallel verses. You know what that is, right? There are other places where you can find a passage that says similar things. Well, that is the case with 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want to show you those passages because I think it matters. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. What does it mean to do all to the glory of God? What does it mean, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God? I want to show you two passages. And the first one is Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Listen to what it says. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Does it sound similar? Is similar. But I want you to read the previous section. Beginning in verse 12. 
Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. I want to show you one more passage. First Peter. First Peter. Chapter four. Verse eight. I'm sorry, verse um, 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies in in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Similar truth. I want you to read the previous section. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see a pattern? If you don't, I'm going to tell you the pattern. The verses that speak about doing everything to the glory of God in first Corinthians, Colossians, and first Peter are written in the context of relationships. That is very important. You know why it is important because it tells me what doing everything to the glory of God looks like. It tells me that to do everything to the glory of God is primarily an issue of love for my neighbor. Have you noticed that it is always at the end of Paul saying, do everything for your neighbor. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It is always in the context of loving my neighbor. Listen to verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense. Therefore, to do everything to the glory of God means that I will love those around me as God has loved me selflessly and unconditionally. Therefore, I will eat and I will drink and I will do everything for the purpose of edification and love. That is ultimately what it means to do everything to the glory of God is the principle of love. So if you were to come to my office one day seeking counsel, And you said, hey, Jonathan, I want to know if I'm living my life to the glory of God. The first question I would ask would probably be, are you loving other people? And if you say, no, I'm a selfish person. 
I would say, go home, come back in a year, and we'll talk about it. Because ultimately, to do all things to the glory of God based on what I see in the context is to love your neighbor. It's about edification. I will remind you of what Pastor Stephen has already taught us several times. There is only one marker of true spirituality. What is it? It's not Christian freedom. It's love. It's nothing else. You want to live your life to the glory of God? You want to eat and drink and do all things to the glory of God? This is how you do it. Love your neighbor. Bring all your activities, big and small, within the framework of love, and you will be doing all things to the glory of God. In other words, a God-glorifying life is a neighbor-loving life. And then Paul brings everything to a conclusion by giving us an invitation. Chapter 11, verse 1. Chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. The invitation is to imitate Christ. Imitate Christ. When it comes to our freedom, Christ is two things. Number one, Christ is the foundation of our freedom. One theologian said it this way, there is no liberty of conscience without gospel liberation. You cannot enjoy your Christian freedom without first having spiritual freedom in Christ. Jesus came to set us free from the tyranny of sin, death, and hell. Ultimately, Jesus came to deliver us from the wrath of God himself. Without Christ, you are in bondage to sin. But Christ is not only the foundation of our freedom. Number two, Christ is the example of our freedom. How did Jesus accomplish the mission to set us free? How did Jesus set us free? This is the answer. Are you ready? Here's the answer. This is how Jesus set us free from our sin. He set us free by not counting equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself. Be imitators of Christ. What does that look like? It looks like love. So we could put it this way. You are never more like Christ than when you willingly give up your rights for the spiritual benefit of someone else. You are never more like Christ than when you willingly give up your rights for the spiritual benefit of someone else. So just a few things to think about, a few questions for you to think about, and we'll be done. Are there any changes you need to make in how you use your Christian freedom for the sake of others? Are you aware of any ways by which you are giving unnecessary offense to someone else? Are you abusing any of your rights as a Christian? Are you eating and drinking and doing everything to the glory of God? And here's a final question. Has your Christian freedom become an idol? 
has your Christian freedom become an idol? There's much more to say, but I will, I will stop right here. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the promise that uh, it will fulfill the purpose for which it was sent. We thank you that this happens regardless of um, who delivers the word because the power is in the word itself and in your spirit. I know that there are many areas in which we need to be convicted in our lives. Father, help us to be more like Christ, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. And ultimately became like one of us, so that he might save us from our sins. Father, help us to grow in wisdom as we seek to navigate our lives for the edification of other people. Help us to count others more important than ourselves. Father, help us to be humble when we recognize our mistakes and the ways in which we offend other people unnecessarily. Help us to change our ways so that we may be more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for the power of the gospel that changes entirely the way we understand life and the world and our relationships. And I pray that you will help us to apply the things that we are learning out of 1 Corinthians to our friendships, our marriages, the way husbands relate to their wives and wives to their husbands, and how we relate to our children and to the people around us, both in the community and in the church. Father, convict us of our sin. Show us the areas in which we need to grow. And help us to understand each day what it means to do all things to your glory. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.